0: Uh, I had a great time being away from you, but it's good to be with you. Thank you guys for all that you uh, did. And, and, and in the meantime, where I wasn't here, which was just kind of like waited out out, uh, and, and celebrate what God did through our graduates. It was awesome to see um, how this year was a little bit different for a lot of our graduates, but you guys did an amazing job of celebrating them on Facebook. So uh, if you haven't told a graduate thank you yet or well done or great job, go ahead and go do that online. Uh, that's awesome that we are able to do that that way. Uh, it's been... Uh, an awesome summer so far and I can't wait uh, to experience what we go into next. I want to give you guys a big update before we dive into today's message about how God has been on the move and on the work as we've been trying to figure out how to dispense and steward well this COVID-19 relief offering that we brought in. If, you, if you've been under a rock or you've you know, been shooting off fireworks and you can't remember things, uh, we raise, you people raise, close to $60,000 to go to relieve local needs uh, to to meet uh, things that how people had been affected by COVID-19. And so what I wanted to do was to give you a little bit of an update today on where we're at. We're almost all the way through. We've been able to do some amazing things. I wish I could go into great links and great details of all the stories of how God has used this, Uh, but I want to give you some highlights of how God has been moving in the midst of this. There's going to be some slides so you can kind of see it. Hopefully you can see this online as well. First off, is a big one we were able to give five thousand dollars worth of donation to help helping in his name food pantry so we were able to just stroke them a check five thousand dollars um They are able to do so much with that amount. Uh, They're able to get uh, pounds of food for like .17 cents a a pound. And so they were able to make a a big, big dent. Uh, Helping in his name, they've been doing an amazing job, not just serving people here in Henry County, but really uh, the whole like metro Atlanta almost area. They've been having people come to them. And so it was awesome to be able to meet some big needs there. Uh, Another one, this is one that's probably one of my favorite. is we were able to cancel lunch debt uh, for... Dutchtown Elementary School, Mount Carmel Elementary School, Oak, uh, Oakland Elementary School, and Pates Creek Elementary School. So those families who had any outstanding debts, uh, those are all gone. That's an awesome one. Um, there are some uh, local hospitals. This was another part of how we wanted to relieve people. There's some nursing homes and hospitals, uh, and there's a, a special, um, ministry, uh, called hands of hope at one of the hospitals or next door to one of the hospitals. And so we were able to, to really bless and encourage the staff there. are 97 different gifts directly to individuals of encouragement to the people who were there. Uh, and these are people who are working kind of boots on the ground with a lot of the COVID-19 response and the people who were affected, who either had it or, or were working with families. So that was an amazing one. Um, and then another one, and this is the one that honestly I wish I could go into as much detail on, uh, but in order to, to protect the stories and the integrity of the families, we're working together to be able to share as much stories in this as we can, uh, not to shine a light on who we are as a church, but really to shine a light on what a great God can do through his people when they're just humble and obedient and have open hands to serve him with. We were able to give so far, and it's probably going to go up from here, $11,000 to meet 11 different Family's specific needs that they have incurred through this season. So well done, church. You're amazing. I hope there's all sorts of lights and hearts and everything's flying around Facebook. They better be on there. Uh, so, so that's that. I want to give you one little last uh, update on some things. Uh, as most of you know, we got some kids. Moms are shushing and rocking and everything else, pushing here in person. And then you guys are at home. And maybe the thing you've been kind of holding off on with this whole, like, do we go back to church? Do we not go back to church? Is this whole idea of children's ministry. I want you to know that, that we're still continuing to pray through. Think through, there's a survey that went out on that already. If you're a parent of a kid, not no one else is allowed to take the survey to say when children's ministry should open if you do not have a kid in there. But if you do have a kid and you have not done that survey, please do that. We want to know what's best and we want to do what's best. And so we're still trying to figure that out. That's obviously not this weekend. Uh, it's not going to be next weekend either. We're going to stay in the loop and we're going to continue to process through and pray through when we're going to open up children's ministry to do the best we can to be able to serve you guys family so stay in the loop on that as soon as we know um, we're going to be letting you know all right let's pray and we're going to dive into what God's word has for us today Jesus we love you we thank you uh, that we can gather together be in your place be here with you and be able to hear from you Jesus I thank you for this country um, what it means to be a part of a free nation and Jesus we pray for healing we pray for help we pray God that you would start with a people like us you would bring healing to us, that you would bring help to us, God, and that we would uh, not allow that to be something that stays with us, but it goes out and it actually starts to affect those around us. Jesus, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you for what you are doing in our midst. In your name, amen. Hey, I want to start out today uh, by telling you a story about a time I wrecked a stolen car. So, I was 16 years old and had just got my license, just started to to drive, and I had this great idea that this one particular day after I got home from school, my mom's car was getting ready to be worked on, so it was actually at home. I didn't have a car yet. I just kind of would drive hers, borrow it every now and then, and so I get home from school. I'm still on the bus, that time struggle bus. Uh, Get off the bus. I'm there at the house. There's a car, and again, I'm a 16-year-old male, Low brain cell count still at this point, not fully developed frontal lobe. And I'm there at home, and there's a car that drives in the driveway with keys. Now, mind you, one of my absolute best friends lives right down the road. And so, you know, I, maybe you experience this. You know, you get home from school, and you're just, like, hungry. Like, you, uh, you know, a McRib or whatever those things are called. I don't know. is McRiddle. What, what they call it? What, McRib? What, what do they call it? I don't know. Ribicue. A ribecue. Anybody else ever eat a ribecue? Okay, yes. Yeah. If if you've eaten a ribecue online, we'll we'll pray for you. Um, yeah, you eat a ribecue or some gross chicken nugget thing and these, you know, space coast mashed potatoes and everything else, and you get home as a sixteen year old male student athlete and you're just absolutely starving. And so I'm like, I'm so hungry, I go in the pantry, there's nothing in the pantry. I open the refrigerator, there's nothing in the refrigerator. There was stuff in the refrigerator, but there was nothing I wanted to eat in the refrigerator. And I just go, you know what, there's a gas station right down the road. And uh, they've got all sorts of goodies. They've got Twizzlers, donuts, Doritos, nachos. They've got the hot dogs on the spinny thing. I, I mean, I should go and get something to eat. So I, so I, so I, uh, I ride my bike, because you can't call or text at this point. This is 2000-something, I don't know, 6-ish, or 7-ish. Now, I ride my bike down to my buddy's house. I say, hey, dude, um, put your shoes on, put your socks on. Put your jacket on because we're going to Jeff's Exxon. And uh, he goes, okay. And we, we, we ride back up to my house. We get the keys and I get in the car. And we proceed to take what little cash we had on hand. And we go just about a mile and a half down the road to Jeff's Exxon. And there at Jeff's Exxon, we get all the snacks we want. And then we come back into our neighborhood. And our neighborhood was a circle. Okay, so we, we, we get back into the circle. And again, you know, 16-year-old enjoying some freedom you know, everybody remembers this first taste of freedom, right? And I drive around the circle one time, drive around the circle again, and then uh, we think about going to my buddy's house and like showing him and kind of laughing like, ah, we're we're driving around, and we think about going and like bringing him in on the fun that we're having, and so I like think about it, we slow down, we end up backing into his driveway, and so we're backed into his driveway, and it's like Time stands still because in that moment you know you're getting ready to start your car again and as a 16 year old male everything in you wants to peel out wants to, you know, just give it some juice and just, mm, just let it have it and so I look over at my buddy and I say, I'm about, I'm about, I'm about, I'm about, I'm about to burn it out check this out dude now little did I know that there was such a thing as a front-wheel drive car and a real-wheel drive car. And a Toyota Avalon that my mom drives just so happens to be a front-wheel drive car. And if you're like, hey, what does that mean? I don't understand. Front-wheel drive cars really don't peel out, especially Toyota Avalons. And so I backed into the driveway. I gas it. Only problem was I forgot to put it in drive. And so I floor it into reverse, hit the neighbor's mailbox, blast it into oblivion. It's just, it's just flying through the woods. I, I recover enough time to slam on the brakes. And so I stopped, I stopped the car, put it back in drive, which I should have done first, and then like, proceed to go back to my house. We, t- we get back in the house. We're like freaking out. Like, we, we try to play it cool. We like, get back out and like, are riding around on our bikes. Like We don't ever drive cars. We're just riding bikes. We're just riding bikes. And then proceed to, to go and look at my mom's Avalon, the, the Toyota, and it's got a scratch, like this big, and not just like a scratch, like maybe you could cover it up with some like whiteout, because it's white, I don't know, we, we're going to do our best to like buy some time, but like, cut through the metal, because this person's mailbox, there's like metal poles, and so like, like, the mailbox was tough, I don't know what this mailbox, it's like made out of like adamantium, it was just a powerful mailbox, And it hurt the car just as much as I hurt the mailbox. And what I experienced happening in this moment was I had every right in the world to legally be behind the wheel of a car. I had the right to be behind a car. The problem was, guys, I did not have enough responsibility to be behind a car. And when it comes to freedom, even the freedom we experience in this nation and in this country, we all have certain rights, The problem happens, though, when you have individual rights, and those individual rights aren't coupled with individual responsibility. It is a wreck waiting to happen. One of the great things about our country is it was founded on this idea that we would be able to have individual rights and individual freedoms. And we would be able to have the freedom to do certain things. And that's what we see even in the preamble. You, you've, you've seen these words before. Maybe look at them in a new light today. The preamble to the Constitution says this. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Which means like you don't really have to look hard to find it. Like it's, it's obvious. These truths are evident that all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, While the founders of our country wanted us to be a place where all men really were treated like they were created equal, sadly, that has, for a lot of us, not been the case. And and there's been portions of our our country that they have not been treated as if they were equal, and that has been something that, that equality has been something that's been harder to come by. Nonetheless, freedom and rights were our founding fathers' aims, that every person in this country could experience freedom. But here's the deal. They put all this stuff together, and they created this thing called the Bill of Rights. Now, you should be thankful for the Bill of Rights, even though you may not be thankful for the Bill. But the Bill of Rights is a really good deal, because it gives you those freedoms. It gives you those rights. Rights like the right to bear arms. Rights like the right for free speech. Me to be able to do this, what I'm doing right now, without fear of somebody coming in and arresting me. Right to a jury. Right to uh, all these different things. Right to assemble. what you're doing right now. We have these rights that have been given to us. And what we see happening, though, is when the rights that we have as people who are part of this country that has a world of potential. Now, I know you may be here and you're like, okay, like, we're sitting here, and it's 4th of July. And this 4th of July is just kind of weird because, man, it's, you want to muster up this patriotism, but you feel like, man, like our country somewhat seems like a dumpster fire right now. Um, but Here's the deal. One of my, my old interns, he said it like this. He said, know, yeah, America may be a dumpster fire right now, but the reality is, guys, it's our dumpster fire. And so we got to take responsibility for it. And I don't know where you feel on that. I don't know where if you're proud to be American or not right now. That doesn't matter. The cool thing is, One of the defining characteristics of this country from jump is that we have an innate ability to adapt, change, and make things better. And I believe that that is actually still possible. But I think some of this misunderstanding of our rights and our freedom is kind of what has got us in this predicament that we're in right now. Because here's the deal. Our founding fathers... They intended that this country would be founded on something bigger than just laws. They intended that as they set up these rights and these freedoms that they gave every single one of us, and whether you're watching online or you're sitting here, you have these rights. They gave us those with this understanding that with those rights would come morals, ethics, and a governing and guiding accountability to a divine authority rather than just us going back to the laws. This is why our second president, one of the founding fathers, you may know him as James Adams, James Adams wrote this in talking about this government that they started. This is what he said. He says, our constitution was made only, keyword, only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other To which we go, that seems to be true right now. It doesn't seem like this whole thing is working. See, our founding fathers assumed. They assumed that there was going to be a level of morality in this country that they were creating. They assumed That there was going to continue to be a consensus around what was true and what was false and what was right and what was wrong. They assumed that there was going to be a religious undercurrent that would allow people to continue to have this divine accountability. To where they didn't just do what they wanted to do. See, that's all the things that they assumed when they put all this in paper. And things have changed since then. And they knew it was going to change since then. And they knew that if those things did, that this whole experiment in freedom would likely to fail because when you have individual rights that aren't coupled with individual responsibility, that system is going to wreck. And so we come to where we're at today where we see people using rights to do whatever they think is right. And that's the problem with rights and freedom is what happens when your freedom bumps into my freedom? What happens when what you think is right bumps into my right and all the rights that I have compound with what you think is your right? See, what happens there when we're not governed by any sort of divine accountability and we don't have morals and ethics and there's not a consensus on what is true and what is not true, what happens then when we say, listen, I don't want to adhere to any divine authority, the reality that we have to adhere to then is this thing that is way more complicated It's called laws. That's why there's so many of them. Because there's been a law created to to make sure that we don't get into or get out of whatever we want to and that everything that could possibly go wrong and when your rights get in the way of my rights, all those things are figured out and that's why there's this really, really extensive set of laws. And with these laws becomes something very complicated. The reality that, Laws really aren't inspiring. Laws at their basis, they show you the bare minimum that you can get away with. If you go this speed, you're going to get a ticket. If you go this speed, you're going to get a super speeder ticket. If you go this speed, you're going to jail. That's what laws do. They show you that bare minimum requirement. For those of you who maybe live somewhere where you have a homeowner's association, the laws of your homeowner's association, do they or do they not inspire you to be a great neighbor? They do not. Matter of fact, the person who loves the homeowner association laws the most is usually your least favorite neighbor. They're the one you avoid like the plague because they called the the authority on you or they put that note in your mailbox. DUI laws don't inspire people to sobriety. See, laws are powerless to do the things with the rights that our founding fathers hoped they would because our founding fathers who created this country who who based off of a lot of their religious and moral beliefs said hey we'll we'll launch this country into this thing but there's got to be some guiding principles of morality and divine accountability or this will fail and so instead of having individual rights regulated by individual responsibilities and divine accountability we have individual rights, they're just regulated by laws, which says, do whatever you want, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, and the reality is, guys, this is a recipe for selfishness, and I think that's why we see a lot of what we see today, but I believe there is hope, and I wanted to set up this passage in this way, because I want you to understand that the hope that we have is not in more laws. The hope that we have is not in the right person getting elected to lead this country so that they implement more laws so that the things that you don't want to happen don't happen and the things you do want to happen, happen. The reality is the biggest potential for change to happen and more change to happen is not who we elect. The biggest change potential lies within you and me, Christians, us, Our behavior has more potential to change things than a law or someone who's elected ever could. And so, I want to show you what the Apostle Paul said to a group of people who were trying to figure out, what do I do with this freedom that I have? And I think it's so applicable to us as a country with, we have these freedoms, we have these things that we can do, we have these things we can't do, we have freedoms, we have rights, what do we do with them to make the most out of them in a kingdom, gospel, God perspective? You got a Bible? Go to Galatians, Galatians chapter five. The Apostle Paul is writing to this church in Galatia. In this church, one of the things that they were struggling with was, "We are mostly Gentiles, which means I'm not a Jew. They're non-Jewish, but at this church, there were both." Jewish believers in Jesus and Gentile believers in Jesus. Now, the Gentile believers in Jesus, they're kind of just saying, hey, like, we believe in Jesus. We're doing what Paul tells us to do. We're doing what they tell us to do. But the Jewish believers in Jesus, they have their old religion, which comes with law after law after law after law. And these people are saying to these people, hey, if you're going to really follow Jesus, you got to do all these other laws as well. And the Gentile believers are going, hold up, Paul, like, some of these laws are hard. Like, we can't eat bacon anymore? No fun. And that's one of the easier ones. And so Paul writes to them, and he encourages them in this way in Galatians 5.13. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. You, my, 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 and I I would say even to us here today, you, my my American brothers and sisters, my my people who, whether or not you're American by birth or you're American because this is just kind of where you're at right now, You are called to be free. There are freedoms within this country that you've given. And if you are in Christ, you are even more free. But he says to these people in Galatia, you are called to be free. But listen to what he says next. This is key. This is so countercultural to what we're experiencing right now. He says, you are called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. What he's saying there is don't use your freedom for you. Don't use your freedom at your advantage. But he says, rather, serve one another humbly in love. See, what Paul knows is this. He knows that when no one is watching, we'll go as low as we can go. He knows that when no one's watching, we do the type of things that we would only do if no one was watching. He knows that when we get out of our parents' house, like, and they're not making us go to church, then we like, can choose whether or not we want to, and maybe we don't, because that's not a law anymore. I don't live in your house, I don't have to go to that. See, Paul knows that our propensity is when we're giving an abundance of freedom. Our propensity is to use that freedom for our own benefit and not the benefit of others. And guys, that's what's happening all around us. I have my freedom. I have my rights. And if you break my rights or you run my rights, I have my right to an attorney. And I can sue and I can sue often. I can get as mad as I want, I can do what I want, because I have my rights, and I will use my rights to my advantage. Paul goes on, he says, "Rather, serve, serve." And then in verse 14, he says, "Well, I believe is the most important thing. It's a passage that was said in the Old Testament. Jesus made a big emphasis on this passage, and then he shows back up circles all the way back around and says, "Hey, Like, if you're going to get anything right, you've got to be able to live this out. In verse 14, he says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. So he's like, disregard the laws. Go eat your bacon. No, you don't have to be circumcised. You got one job. You got one law. This is it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself yourself he says you have one law one law love your neighbor as yourself it's it's elementary we teach our kids this we say it's the golden rule but it is that simple this is christianity 101 what he's saying there is leverage your freedom to love others to treat them the way that you want to be treated now guys imagine imagine what this would look like if this is actually how we lived like if we leveraged our freedom to serve and to put others first our world would be vastly different Now, I love, uh, we can all imagine how great that would be, but Paul, he actually gives us the other side of the coin. That's why I love Paul. He's not super optimistic. He's not a pessimist. What Paul does is he just kind of shows you what's going to happen if you do it right, and what's going to happen if you do it wrong. And he says, you choose. I like that. I'm good with a guy like that. In verse 15, he says, if you don't, if you leverage your freedom, if you use your rights your God-given rights, or your country-given rights, if you use the freedom you have, whether it's in country or in Christ, if you use those freedoms for your own benefit, this is what happens. 5.15. If you bite and devour each other, which is basically his way of saying, if you leverage your freedom for your sake and not for others, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Makes it very clear. Watch out. Because you will be destroyed by each other if you bite and if you devour each other. Now, there was a time, around 2006, our country was was, was, was was maybe getting close to its almost like peak patriotism that I can remember personally in my own lifetime. It was in the midst of the war in Iraq, and it was very, very... Uh, a, bloody battle going on in Iraq. Some of the the harshest uh, military action that we had seen since Vietnam was happening in 2006. You had battles in Fallujah, battles in Iraq and Afghanistan. And all the Middle East was blowing up and there there was this overwhelming sense of patriotism. But at the same time, there was a sense of fear that if America was going to be destroyed, it was going to happen from an outside enemy. And now, fast forward 2020 where we're at now and I don't know about you but I think there's less and less fear of an outside enemy attacking and destroying America anymore maybe you're like me and and you tend to feel in the midst of all this that's going on that the actual greatest threat to America is Americans and our dividedness and our inability to ever get on the same page and ever, ever do what's best, not for ourselves, but, but to do what's best for, for the whole. And to see things from other sides. And it feels like we're ripping apart at the seams and it's more divided than ever. And so Paul, he says to a group of people who are the church, and I believe to us as the church, who I believe sets a pace for us as a country, If you are divided, if you leverage the freedom that you've been given in Christ, and if you only leverage the freedom that you have as a country, you will eventually destroy yourselves. See, this is a principle that God said way back here in the Bible that a guy like John Adams was picking up and wrote in his commentary about the Constitution to say, hey, like this is only going to work. This experiments in freedom and rights and all this stuff, it will only work if people have personal responsibility and divine accountability otherwise it is doomed to fail and that's not a super happy message but i do believe there's hope again i do believe there's hope because i believe that hope resides in every single one of you to be someone who will make a difference Again, I don't think the laws are going to be what change it. I don't think our country is going to ever go back to being able to be like, we're just we're the moral majority, and, and all the laws from the top down are all governed by God's word. Like I don't think we're going there. I think Jesus will come back before we come back to Jesus. I, and I hope I'm wrong. I pray I'm wrong. I want to be wrong. But despite that fact, we don't get a free pass as the church to just mail the rest of our lives in. And go, well, Jesus is just going to come back and, and I, I, I'm just going to have to just wait it out. I'm going to build my Christian bunker and put Proverbs 31 stuff on the walls until Jesus comes back. And, and then when he does, he's going to take me and mine and we're going to be good to go. No, 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 no. When did we stop being called salt and light? Like that, that, that hasn't stopped. We, we are still the salt of the earth. We are still the light. We are still the city on the hill. And we still have a job to do and and if i could just put it in in three very simple ways to wrap this up and hopefully turn this corner and let it be a little bit more encouraging because gosh god is doing good things and i still think there is hope for us if you want to apply this to your life to leverage your freedom for the sake of others i would say this is what it looks like this is what it looks like first step is don't do just what you can justify Do us just. Do us just. Do us just. Not just what you can justify. So instead of asking the question that law asks, which is like, "Hey, how much can I get away with?" Like, what's the bare minimum requirement? Like, what, mom? Okay, if I get a C, will you let me get the keys back? How many of you guys ever had the keys taken away from you? Anybody? Keys taken away? How many of you had your door taken away? Anybody had your door taken away? Yeah, I can see some hands. That's cool. I like that. Get that door. I don't know if I, I want my kids to keep a door. I want to nail the door closed sometimes. Um, but here's the deal: we got to quit asking the question, "What can we get away with?" And I believe we have to start asking the question, "How can I help?" Our, our current current president, you know, his, his big slogan thing that he's kind of launched into is is, is make America great again right let's talk about great you guys are getting uncomfortable that's cool let's talk about great what makes something great what, what does greatness require see I see I think in order to be great you have to ask the, the question that greatness asks if you want to truly see something great you have to ask the question and respond accordingly to the to the question how can I help? That's, that's the greatest question. How can I help? And what does that help look like? And where do I get that from? This little verse that you probably have heard called John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish, which a.k.a. means they would get the help they need, but they would have eternal life. See... Our God looked at me, looked at you, looked at the mess we were in and said, how can I help? And then he sent his son to be strung from the east to the west, helpless on a cross to help you out of the sin situation that you had found yourself in and to help me out of the sin situation that I had found myself in. And that's help. The next thing, if we want to be able to live this out, if we want to make the most out of the freedom that we have, is do what's responsible, not just what's permissible. When we were in our money series, we launched this hugely fascinating, deep, hard-to-grasp truth that if you cannot afford something, you should not buy something. And I know it blew some of our minds. But in the same way, if you are not willing to take responsibility for the potential outcome of a decision that you are about to make, do not make the decision. Regardless of if that's one of the ones, like, you've got to go, hey, I'm about to try to. I'm about to do this. Uh, it could go like that. Am I willing to take responsibility for that? Like, if I go to this party, this could happen. Am I willing to take responsibility for that? If you're not willing to take responsibility for that, don't do it. I'm about to go meet this person at this restaurant. And no, I haven't told anybody, but it's technically not a lie. It's technically not a sin. If you're not willing to take responsibility for what may come from that, don't do it. See, we're in this society right now where where, where we do a whole lot of, of passing the buck. And, and nobody really wants to take responsibility. Here's the deal, though. I, I believe responsibility starts at home. Like, we learn it at home. It's, it's, uh, taking responsibility is a learned behavior. And for me, like, as a husband, and I think I've talked about this a little bit before, but begin to reiterate, like, a lot of times when we think about responsibility and who should take it and who is off the hook to take the responsibility— A lot of times we look at it, and through our eyes of American justice, we look at it like this and say, if somebody's at 49 and somebody's at 51, the 51% person who caused that problem, they are the one who has to take responsibility. They lead the way, they own it, they take responsibility for the mishap and the mistake, and that's on them. The problem is, though, that is not the gospel. Here's the reality of the gospel there is a God who is 0% responsible. Zero. And there's a humankind, us, who are 100% responsible for the mishap, the sin, the failure, the pain, the tears, all of the bad we see in the world. That, that, that's our 100% responsibility. And the God, who had 0% res- responsibility, comes and says, I will take 100% responsibility. And so us, in response, we've got to be willing and ready to even if your responsibility in an argument, in a fight. There's a lot of married couples in here today. How many married couples ever get in an argument? Okay, cool. How many married couples are in an argument right now? Just kidding. Don't urge <laughs> you how many of you were about to be like you 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 saw your wife raise your hand like really Uh, (laughs) you're looking across the living room going oh that's why dinner was cold Um, this is how we lead differently you know for me a lot of time one of the things I try to do and again I don't get this right that much but but saying if there's an argument in, in our marriage to say if I'm 1% 1% responsible, if Jessica is, and I know this is, this is, you guys who know our family, you're laughing because that would never happen. If Jessica is 99% responsible for the mishap, for the miscommunication, for the problem in our marriage or the argument or whatever, she's 99% responsible, and I am 1% responsible. My job, if I believe in the gospel, and I believe in a God who with zero responsibility would pursue reconciliation, I, with 1% responsibility, still have to pursue reconciliation and lead the way and apologize and say hey i own my end so what this means for us practically speaking as americans is we very seldom if ever say that's the democrats responsibility they're responsible for that that's the media's responsibility that's on them that's the, G- the Gen X's responsibility. That's millennials' responsibility. That's the Republicans' responsibility. That's Fill in your blank. It's no longer that. What we as people of God, we say, I'm willing to take responsibility for my own actions, for my own home, for my own family, and I'm willing to let Jesus use me to be a part of a greater good instead of passing the buck and blaming someone else i'm going to realize that maybe i actually have a part in this the last thing simple it's kind of a catch-all is honor god honor god honor him and this is simple like we used to wear wwjd bracelets this one is simple too it's like if you don't know what to do it's asking the question which decision would most honor god and my, my six year old, your six year old at home, a six year old can answer that question. Is that, is that the decision that would most honor God? And they can nail that question almost nine out of 10 times. And so for us as grown ups in the room, we don't have an excuse. We do what honors God. Does this post, does this thing, I'm, I'm about to press the share button, does this most honor God? I'm about to have this conversation. I'm about to mention this people group. Does this most honor God? It's not difficult. It's Christianity. And you're like, oh man, this is tough. This is Christianity 101, guys. This is what we're called to. This is who we are as God's people. And I believe, I believe that we can be this. And we can do this. And I believe there's hope. As the band comes back up, they're going to lead us in the song called Living Hope. And the reality is, guys, the the truth that this song is is making is that Jesus Christ is our living hope. The fact that He went to the cross, took 100% responsibility for your sin, died the death that you deserved, that I deserved, and then gave us the potential to live the life that we did not deserve. When it says that He is our living hope, that means that even now, through us to a world who at times, and maybe even right now, looks hopeless. We realize that He, through us, is that living hope. And then we go and we deliver that hope. We deliver that as those who have been set free and in a country where we still have the freedom to proclaim, we still have free speech, we still have the right to freely gather for the time being. We can go... And allow the freedom that we have been given to be used by God to lead others to freedom in His Son. Who set aside His freedom so that you and me could be set free. As the band leads in this into the song, I'm going to invite you wherever you're at. If you don't have it yet, you can go grab it back there in the back to go and grab communion. And as you look at your wafer and as you look at the juice symbolically represents the broken body of Christ and his shed blood for you remember that that blood bought your freedom and for some reason again like we're all proud to be Americans but the reality is you didn't unless you went came from overseas and you did the green card you did all that type of stuff to build a business or whatever and to get here All you did to be an American was be born. And that, I believe, is actually the favor of God on your life. Of Him looking at you and going, listen, I put you in this country for a reason. I gave you, you, there are other countries where you could have been born, where you would not be able to experience religious freedom. Where you would be put in prison or killed for expressing to others the gospel. You have the freedom. You were put here. You were born here for a reason. For such a time as this. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Let's be the salt and the light here in Henry County. Let's continue to make this place more like the kingdom of God. The one you belong to. This isn't our kingdom. This isn't our home. We're not American Christians. We are Christian Americans. And it's It's the blood of Christ It's most important. And I pray that you meet with him today. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for pouring it out on us in ways, God, that we just absolutely do not deserve. Pray you move in our hearts, you move in our lives. You draw us back to a place where you are the number one priority where we lay aside patriotism, we lay aside nationalism, we lay aside political parties, we lay all of that aside and take up our crosses. Let that be the only thing that we take up. We love you, Jesus. Meet with us. Be with us here. Be our living hope. In your name, amen.